You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, February 7th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Francis Gannon, co-chief investment officer of Royce Investment Partners. Hi, Francis. Welcome to Real Vision. Hey, Maggie. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, I'm excited. And it's a great day. Uh, you know, it's been a pretty rough beginning to the year. I think everyone will agree. Um, a lot of people wondering the direction of equities and specifically the direction of small caps, which is something that I know you focus on and we don't get to talk about really in depth enough. But before we sort of jump into all of that, why don't you give us a little overview of your area of focus and your investment approach? Sure. Um, I work at Royce Investment Partners. We have been around since 1972, really focusing solely on this beautiful, uh, highly inefficient asset class called small caps. Um, and uh, we have a variety of different approaches to the asset class, but effectively we try to look uh, at the small cap asset class as a risk manager. Um, and typically we tend to invest in what we consider to be very high quality businesses. And I know that is a overused word in today's investment world, um, but we have series of metrics that we really focus on and trying to find these businesses. And then we put them together in portfolios. And um, so we currently manage around 16 billion in small cap assets. And I think what makes us distinct is the fact that we really just invest within the small cap asset class. And then also uh, we've been doing this for a very long period of time. So we have um, average portfolio uh, tenure, portfolio manager tenure at our firm has been about 22 years. And then we eat our own cooking. So we have a lot of our own individual money invested in the portfolios we manage, which I think is really uh, important in terms of aligning yourselves with your constituents. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so so as we were coming on air, we both kind of watched the equity rally that we had in place today fade into the close, which is something, you know, that we've seen happen in, 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 the, in what has been a kind of rough start to the year. It's, it's settling now. It looks like the Dow's flat, S&P down a third, NASDAQ down a half, but the Russell managed to hang on. It was up uh, quite a bit today, managed to hang on to a gain a half a percent. But you know, what are your what is your expectation in terms of small caps? I mean, the Russell was disappointing for a lot of people, got hit hard at the end of last year. What, what are you anticipating? Well, the small cap market, I mean, the Russell 2000 in general entered a bear market last week, down over 20 percent from its uh, most recent high of November 8th. Um, and uh, believe it or not, even with that, you know, full year last year was the third year in a row that we had uh, double digit returns for the Russell 2000. And in the history of the Russell 2000, if you go back, that's only happened in two other periods, both in the in the 90s, when we've had three years in a row of double digit returns. And I think um, we've never had a fourth year of double digit returns. So my expectations for small cap this year is to be much more muted in terms of its return. Um, my guess is some single, maybe single high single digit going forward. But I think that's that's still a good outcome, given, uh, given our kind of uh, dismal start to the year. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're we're looking at this you know is very interesting because you know we're, we're thinking about what's going to drive that part of the market. Right now a lot of people are also looking for some place where they can find protection or can find diversification. Um and small caps 
what do we need to understand about the relationship with inflation? Because that's dominating everything right now. Yeah, the inflationary, you know, the inflation headlines are pervasive, obviously, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Um, the thing you have to know about small caps in the United States is that small caps have beaten um, inflation in every decade uh, going back in time. Uh, we use something from the University of Chicago called the Center for Security Research Pr uh, Pricing from a research perspective. And you can see uh, going back using the crisp data, as we call it, um, you can see that um, small caps have outperformed in every decade um, um, versus inflation. So I think this is a great place for investors to look for an opportunity, especially given the fact that small caps are down over 20% from their most recent high, um, gives, gives investors a great place to look at something different. And outside of the top five names in the S&P 500, where a lot of people have been investing over the past decade. Yeah. yeah. Is, is the performance of small cap, what influence has this passive aggress passive uh, investing rather had? I mean, we've seen so much momentum and so many flows into tech. It, you know, it seems like if equities are going to rally, that's exactly what's going to happen again. Would that not just repeat itself? Why do you expect to see what's going to drive the the flows into small caps now? Well, I think one of the, the big things that we're hearing about is that the Fed is beginning to pivot or is going to pivot at some point in the not too distant future. And I think what that means for equity investors is that era of liquidity driven multiple expansion is over. Um, and we lived we have lived in a period of time, I'd say for, you know, five to seven years, if not longer, where people could value non earning assets from a long duration standpoint, really down the road. Um, given the fact that we were at zero interest rates or rates were so low. Um, now with rates moving up and the Fed being more aggressive in terms of its quantitative tightening and tightening, I think you actually have to go back to this idea of actually investing with companies that actually have earnings, um, mm -hmm. that um, have underlying fundamentals. And so I think the whole dynamic of, of how people should be approaching the next 10 years is going to be dramatically different than how it should be approached, how they approached the previous 10 years. Um, yes, the growth of active management, uh, the growth of ETFs and passive investing has been enormous over that time frame. But I would argue that within small caps, small caps are such an inefficient asset class that I don't really think the ETF is the great, the best way to approach small caps. If you look at the Russell 2000, for example, um, and you bought the ETF today, about 44% of the Russell 2000 is comprised of loss-making entities right now. Um, so to me, in an environment where the Fed is going to be a little bit more restrictive going forward, where multiples are going to be driven by earnings growth, I think you want to be involved in an active management situation where the, the active managers are actually picking stocks. We know that in most periods of economic expansion, um, that value managers and um, tend to do better. And you mm -hmm. see it in the way the market works, right? So we've seen very concentrated performance in the market over the past several years. Now I think you're starting to see that broaden out and you're gonna see other industries participate in a way they haven't previously, which is gonna be, I think, great for investors in general, but specifically within the small cap space. That's so interesting. I mean, we really are entering this potential new regime and I'm so glad you brought up the Fed pivot because I mean, this is th this is going to affect every part of the of the asset markets. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Jared Dillian and George uh, Gonclave sat down recently and talked about this very issue, the risks specifically around the pivot. And George was very concerned about the potential for a policy mistake. Let's have a listen to that clip. You know, markets have this tendency to kind of overshoot and overextrapolate. I think we're in that sort of moment. But to judge when that's over, it's going to be really difficult. Because we're, you know, and on the one hand, I mean, I think the data is going to give the Fed the ability to eventually pause in the second half. But what if that doesn't happen? And so, like, you kind of have to assume that they're going to either go all the way and then wait to see, like, what the impact is to financial conditions and the economy. But, I mean, I do think that this, there's kind of like this view out there that, you know, we're back to a normal business cycle. Once COVID passes, we're going to go back to a normal business cycle. In my view, I think, you know, if you exclude, obviously, the COVID impact was, it was a massive hit. But we really elongated the old business cycle, which was going on 10 plus years anyway. So we're now dealing with an even more levered system than before. And the Fed wants to take away liquidity. I mean, fine, they should because there's, there's excess liquidity. They helped facilitate some of the fiscal stimulus, which exacerbated this inflation. So you know, it's, it's, they're really in a, in a difficult spot. Um, I, I love the view, like, look, they, they want to soft land the economy. So they want to like achieve Goldilocks. I mean, everyone loves Goldilocks environment, not too hot, not too cold. I think that, you know, they could get it right. I mean, it's possible. It's definitely one plausible scenario. But for me, I think that there's a risk of the policy error eventually kind of amplifying the mid-cycle slowdown, which I think is ahead of us. And this business cycle is going to be shorter because it's really part of the old business cycle. And so if that's the case, there's a risk that they, you know, they do a policy mistake and they actually, you know, tip us into a, a, a more sharper slowdown and potentially maybe a recession in 23. So like, we'll see. So the potential for a recession, I mean, that, that I would think that that would be problematic uh, for small caps. I mean, what, what is your growth outlook and how important is a robust pace of growth for small cap stocks to perform or even outperform? I mean, you know, could, could the Fed pivot cause a recession some point down the road? Could there be a policy mistake? I mean, the easy answer there is yes, of course. Um, I, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen. All I do know is kind of what I'm hearing from a bottoms up perspective from many of the businesses we invest in. I know that small caps as an asset class are very cheap on a relative basis to large and just in general, um, if you go back over history, especially over the past 20 years. I know, at least from what I'm hearing um, from a bottoms up perspective, very early on within this first quarter reporting period, that demand remains quite strong that most companies' economic outlook is actually also quite strong. I know that from an economic standpoint, you know, the law of large numbers, you're going to see some type of slowdown into 2023. Um, but I think a lot of that has been baked into the small cap space already. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is reflective in the fast. We just had the, you know, one of the fastest bear markets um, that we've seen in a long time. It took us 49 or 50 days to go from, the, the peak of November to the most recent low uh, of last week. So there's enormous amount priced into our market. And I guess when you see a 20% decline in the small cap space, 
the average stock is going to be down probably close to 40%, if not more. There are going to be stocks down 30, 40, 50%. So the objective for me uh, as an active manager in this space is to take advantage of that dislocation and think about the next three to five years and where the market is, is, is and the economy should be over that time frame, and hopefully invest in good businesses that can withstand any type of economic slowdown, be it short-term in nature or be it a full-blown recession. So how are you approaching that? I mean, can do you, do you think that small caps are going to uh, outperform broadly, or do you have to be smart about the sectors that you're looking at? Where would you be focused to be looking yes, to pick up some of these bargains? It's a great question, Maggie. I think you know the way we've been positioning our portfolios of late has been around the more economically sensitive or cyclical areas of the market. So think, in, think uh, industrials, think boring technology companies. Um, the non. What do you mean by boring technology well, the, companies? It's just the non-sexy part, right? The sexy part of technology within the small cap space, software companies, et cetera, typically don't have any earnings growth. Um, you know, even around financials can be an opportunity. Uh, small cap banks obviously could do better in a rising rate environment. Um, so I think you just have to be thoughtful about how you approach the asset class um, and, and position yourself going forward. Obviously, that leads to probably the more value side of the market, if you will. Um, right. If you're looking at the, the individual sectors within the value side of the market. But, um, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of the growthier areas within uh, the small cap space do well, just because I don't think they have the earnings power behind um, uh, them that you might find in other you know, large cap names. But, you know, I view it this as if if the market if the economy continues to move along at a at a nice pace which it seems to be at the moment even if it slows down a little bit you know i'm not scared of growth i'm not scared of top line growth in businesses but what i love to see is bottom line um, earnings and cash flow i think that's really important especially in this environment companies actually have to show up and produce earnings um, in the environment today uh, where you know the market really didn't focus on that for a period of time and so that's part of the pivot that you're seeing from the Fed, but also the pivot that we're seeing in the market over these uh, first couple of weeks of 2020, or 2022. Yeah, it's a great point because, you know, we do, we do tend to sort of focus on um, on the ETF or on the Russell, but, but, but the fact that there is growth and value, that rotation within the small cap sector itself, kind of reflective of what's going on in equities overall is really good to keep in mind. We have Hef on the RV site asking, what are some small cap stocks uh, that Francis sees value in currently? Well, I think, it, you know, there's there's a lot and it varies by sector by sector, especially given the fact that we've had such a, a large decline. Um, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about, obviously, around inflation, there are names like BOK Financial, which is one of the largest banks in Oklahoma that is investing uh, that is also in Colorado and Texas. But last time we saw a rising rate or the Fed was actually uh, tightening, um, the earnings of this company actually doubled. And so I think that's a that's kind of an interesting stock to look at in today's environment. Um, there are other- Interesting that it seems like there's a geographical play there as well. Definitely, energy is another part of the balance sheet there, right? And so what you'll see is as uh, they're one of the largest lenders into the energy sector in the United States. Um, so. Obviously, oil prices and natural gas prices are up this year um, and have been up over the past year. So they would benefit from that, too. So it's kind of a two way way of playing inflation and inflationary pressure within the small cap space. Hmm. I think we have a chart. You like real estate as well. Is that right? 
real estate's not been an area of focus uh, of ours. Um, uh, typically, we don't invest in real estate companies or, or utilities. Okay. Um, I think the chart you're referencing just talks about the overweights of the value market. If you were to look at the Russell, ah, right, yes. value, you would see that banks are overweight. You know, th there's a larger weighting in banks, real estate and utilities. And you'd see some of those software names, um, pharmaceuticals, specifically biotech, be underweight. Those are, you know, the, the healthcare area has been an area that's been under a lot of pressure within the small cap space in the fourth quarter of last year and so far in this first quarter. And a lot of that has to do with the, the biotechnology companies. Biotech, um, not surprising within the small cap space, um, is one of the areas that is comprised of non-earning entities. And so you're seeing as the Fed pivots, and this idea of you know the the era of long uh, the era of liquidity driven multiple expansion being over, biotech is definitely getting hurt. Uh, this is a, a a great question coming in from Achilles from the exchange. Uh, I have a couple of small medium cap companies. They seem super cheap given the TAM and growth prospects compared to their peers in large cap. My question is, what is a typical price discovery cycle for small caps? Well, I think it, it depends, right? I mean, I think small cap companies are so interesting in that a lot of small cap companies do not grow up to become an Apple computer, right? They will remain small cap for the majority of their life cycle. Um, I think the other the thing to think about when you're thinking about small cap companies is um, we always tend to look at ownership. Who is the owner? Is it the, the owners, the, the family might be involved? Is it a professional management team, whatever it might be? Um, so when we're looking to add stocks or add to a business, we typically have done our work ahead of time. The beauty of the small cap space is that these are typically single line businesses. They're not multiple lines of business. If they do have two lines, the second line really supports the first. Um, and knowing that our first purchase might be not our best. Our hope is that by the time we finish completing our full position, we have a great average price. Um, so we try to use the near-term fear in the market or near-term misunderstanding. Um, you know, they might report a great quarter, but the market thinks it's terrible versus expectations. But if you're looking out three to five years, you can take advantage of that dislocation and build that to help build your overall position. So when I think of price discovery, I think of it as being slow and steady um, in that process of building a, a position and then holding on to it for a long period of time. I think we all know the market is very short-term focused, uh, especially in today's market. Um, and to be able to pick your head up and look out three to five years and think about the next three to five years and invest that way, I think um, gives you a little bit of a leg up when you're thinking about price discovery. Yeah, that's a that's a great, the, the time horizon, that, it's, a, it's a fantastic answer. And, and by the way, um, he was speaking specifically about, um, it looks like an investment in KLR versus uh, TWLO, Twilo, um, 1.5 versus 12. Um, uh, so that that's that that's the discrepancy. And you know, his question was, if it takes too long to be discovered, does that imply it's priced low for a reason? It sounds like you're saying, you know, you really have to have a time horizon here, understand the underlying fundamentals of the business, the management, and then hopefully add to your position, even if you have to be patient. Patience sure. matters in this market. Yeah, if patience you're definitely matters, caps, but right? you know, we're always worried about a value trap. Um, things might look cheap and they're cheap for a reason. Um, so we always are trying to do the research around the company, understand not just the business itself, but look at suppliers and competitors in the business to kind mm -hmm. of really understand the 360, if you will, around that business. 
to help us really understand, is this something that could be perceived to be or is a value trap? We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ralph uh, has a question on the exchange, um, which I also like. Your firm specializes in small caps, so I imagine you're bullish on small caps at least most of the time or often. What's the bear case given the forecasted environment? So where's the biggest risk? Well, I think the big risk is to er- from er- an earnings perspective, right? If, 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 if I'm right that, the you know, I think everybody understands the Fed is going to be tightening, um, earnings are going to become increasingly more important, and if earnings don't come through, if the bottoms up fundamentals don't come through, you're not going to see the multiple expansion um, that we're anticipating. And so the earnings component, you know, the E of the PE is going to be increasingly more important going forward. And that's where we could be wrong. Um, I kind of probably anticipated that small caps would have done better last year. Um, mm-hmm. But effectively last year, they didn't go, you know, they were up, they were up 14%. But I was hoping for uh, a better year last year, and effectively for the, the latter part of the year, they were effectively flat um, after a great first quarter. So I, I think the the key here for small cap and and even for large cap companies going forward is going to be earnings, uh, earnings power, and how the market thinks about that and translate that uh, translate that into multiple expansion. And why why did that underperformance happen, Francis? Did it just get caught up in the in the overall risk off environment at the end of the year, or was there something going on specific to the sector that just failed to materialize? I think the you know small caps were up about twelve and a half percent initially in the first quarter of twenty twenty one, and then went flat for about eight months until they eventually hit a uh, new high on November eighth, and then began to kind of uh, begin this move down in this bear market. Um, part of it to me was the fact that uh, obviously as you got through the latter part of the year, it was Omicron and the latest variant affecting, you know, were we going to be shutting down the economy as well? But the fact that small caps peaked right around November 8th, which if you go back and look, was right around the time that we started seeing these really big numbers from an inflationary standpoint, that was putting the lid on um, the, the small cap market, I think, initially and you saw that rotation begin to take place in the latter part of last year. This year, I think, as the decline kind of sped up, it was really about the Fed and liquidity um, and the liquidity coming out of the market and that hurting multiples. It, you bring up exactly the uh, another question posted, uh, which is what are your thoughts on the effect of rate hikes and balance sheet taper to small caps? My understanding is that they are the ones that come under pressure when liquidity gets low in the system. Are you concerned around the balance sheet reduction pivot that the Fed is about to make? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I think you know part of it is I think liquidity coming out of the system is probably a healthy thing, given what's going on. And I think the reset or pivot by the Fed um, is 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 positive. You know, in terms of I think it's time to be honestly with you. And I think it's it's one of those things that when we look at balance sheets of businesses within the small cap space, obviously these are more fragile, if you will, entities. Um, so having a solid balance sheet from our perspective is really important. We're not big fans of leverage, uh, financial leverage. We're big fans of operating leverage. 
And so when you look at the balance sheet of a small cap company, you know, tend not to invest in companies that have a lot of leverage. It helps you sleep at night. Um, and I think that's kind of important. So as the Fed begins to withdraw liquidity from the market, and, and I think this is true, you know, the better small cap companies have been able to use the COVID environment over the past several years to become be a better company. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's that's really important as the Fed begins to shift its balance sheet and begin to tighten because those those companies today are better businesses than they were three years ago when we kind of began this COVID-like journey. So um, I do that's that. That's so interesting. Why? Tell us a little bit more about that because I love I love to get that bottom-up perspective because you are talking to these companies. Is it because they're battle-tested? Is it because they have become more productive and accelerated? You know the the digitization and and some of the other uh, you know measures that we're going we're going to be needed. But frankly, when you're you know stretched for capital, they sometimes move to the back burner. What is it that made them better businesses? I think I think it's 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 exactly that. I think those companies that had the strength of balance sheet um, in the the COVID period that we've been in have been able to pull forward things that they were probably not going to do right away. But have used this as a moment to get to be a better company. So they might have retooled their floor of their um, manufacturing facilities. They might have um, gone out and made acquisitions to become a better company of companies that didn't have the um, the strong balance sheets and being able to uh, you know grow their business. They effectively had to sell their business to survive. Mm. So I think the better companies have actually been able to be to grow and become better businesses. And, um, you know, I think people think of large cap companies doing that, but well-financed, um, solid balance sheets business within the small cap space have been doing that for a long period of time. And I think that's a really interesting area when you're thinking about investing in small caps, really focus on that quality part of the small cap space right now, because I think you're going to see that reflected in the earnings growth of a lot of these businesses going forward, which, as, as I kind of alluded to, is really going to be, I think, quite interesting this year. I want to get a couple more names that you might be interested in, but it, but it's it's a great point sort of survival of the fittest, right? I mean, the the, the crisis must have shaken out some of the weaker hands in the small cap area. Um, if you may, were able to make it through this period, um, you know that says something about your ability to operate. So you mentioned you mentioned the one uh, the one name that you liked. I think the ticker was BOK. Was is that right? Yeah. BOKF. BOK Financial. Yep. BOKF. What what are yep. some other areas that you like? Maybe outside uh, financial. You know, when you think about um, small caps, I think, you know, there's this idea that the only innovation taking place in the United States is really happening out in Silicon Valley, out in yeah, the West yeah. Coast. But there's enormous innovation taking place uh, in a lot of the industrial businesses in the United States, especially within the small cap space. And one of the names we like, which I think is also a great kind of um, inflationary play, is a company called Element Solutions. Uh, the ticker there is ESI. It's a small cap company that is a chemical, uh, specialty chemical company whose products are really um, baked into a lot of, of their, their current customers. They are involved in um, uh, electric vehicles. So I think you're going to see that growth platform really start to take off for them, but their products are essential. Um, and so as we're worried about inflation and, and cost inputs going up, here's a Here's a product or a company that has products that are important to the manufacturing of other products. And mm -hmm. so their products are essential. So they have that pricing lever 
um, that other companies might not be able to have. So this is a, a great way to think about inflationary pressures again within the small cap space, um, but looking at especially chemical manufacturer. Yeah, and and also you know exposure to hot areas, right? It, it, you you can you can have that happen even in the small uh, small cap area, which uh, right. is is some is a is a fantastic thing to focus on. Roger is asking on the RV site, do you have a view on micro cap stocks? Yes, um, sure. We love micro cap companies. Um, we uh, have. What, what's uh, that defined by, by the way, for people who may not be in that part of the market? Well, how, how do you define market, that? It's a little, it's about a little over a billion dollars in market capitalization and down. Um, this is uh, a great area within the small cap space. Um, and it's, we have a fund dedicated to uh, the, the micro cap space called the Royce Microcap Fund, or even a closed end fund, um, which uh, is a great way to think about micro cap companies as well. Um, micro caps are, again, that bottom part of this inefficient asset class, but you can find the same type of businesses we're talking about. These companies that have the potential to grow up to be quality businesses. We might call them premier businesses, if you will, um, using kind of Royce terminology. Um, these are businesses that are probably serial compounders that have high return on invested capital, but are in the early beginning of that phase of, of their life cycle as a business. Um, and the better ones uh, tend to do quite well and survive. And so if you can take advantage of those companies again um, and look at them for a long period of time, microcaps are a great way to look at small caps. Um, you know, this is a great research area for us as a firm um, as well, because we get to know these businesses quite well very early on. Yeah. You know, it, it strikes me as we're talking about this. Uh, what about internationally? Are there opportunities uh, internationally in the small cap sector? Do you look at that and how do you feel about that versus the US? Yeah, so the international space within the small cap, you know, international small caps are not necessarily a dedicated asset class as of yet. Um, it's an area that people, I think, you know, tend to look at, um, generate some alpha and then they pull back. I would tell you, I think it is a dedicated asset class. We have a product called our International Premier Fund that really focuses on those premier businesses outside of the United States. So these are companies that do generate high return on invested capital or those serial compounders, if you will. I think the world outside of the United States, to me, they're a little further behind us here domestically in terms of economic growth, et cetera. Obviously, they're gonna be probably pivoting as well. If you look at the ECB or some of the international um, monetary, you're gonna start seeing those, those changes as well. But I think, again, it speaks to the fact that in this environment, you wanna focus on those better businesses, not just domestically in the United States, but outside the United States as well. And I think there is a bit of a valuation opportunity depending upon the country you're looking at. Yeah, and is there also a commodity play? Because as we know, some emerging markets have exposure to commodities. Uh, so when energy, so when you see that moving higher on, on the large cap front, um, they can also benefit. I don't know if that trickles down to the small cap area. It does. There are definitely commodity plays. There's different ways to play it. You know, um, one of the ways we've been playing some of it is through uh, a Canadian uh, company, the TMX Group, which is the mm -hmm. basically the Toronto Stock Exchange. But think about all the companies that are listed on their exchange that actually are levered to uh, commodities um, and energy, et cetera. So that's a great way to play some of those trends. Um, but own it differently, right? You don't actually have to own some of those individual businesses. You can own uh, TMX Group, which is a great way to, to invest in those businesses. The question we're going to end on um, is from Yo-Yo, who I know uh, feels very strongly about the home builders. I see your questions all the time, but we have someone who can who can speak to that potentially. Um, 
Is there exposure, a sector that has exposure, if not home builders themselves, exposure to housing that you like? Or is that an area that you'd be worried about in a rising rate environment? And frankly, coming off some of the, you know, the uh, froth we see there. Well, I mean, it, you've seen a lot of the the larger home builders um, kind of under pressure earlier this year, earlier this year. Um, we probably don't own a lot of the home builders directly. What we do own is a lot of the suppliers into the that world in terms of um, companies that would be involved in building a house, um, individual companies, not as opposed to the builders themselves. And I think that's an interesting way to look at what's going on within the the, the home building space. We know uh, that the consumer is flush with cash. We know that the consumer is going to be doing a lot probably in terms of their home because we're all spending more and more time there. So it's a trend that I think has the, the ability to continue. Um, we just have been approaching it from more the individual company standpoint, um, you know, the companies that are making specific products going into the house as opposed to using looking at the builders. Fantastic stuff. Francis, a long overdue conversation on this really important part of the market. Thank you so much for being with us today. If people want more information, what do they do? Just head over to the Royce website. How do they yeah. find you? Royceinvest.com. Um, and uh, we, we try to be a great source for people to uh, look at the small cap, small cap asset class and have charts and things like that that people can look at. So I think it's a great way to stay educated on the small cap space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, company fundamentals and management counts again in yes. this environment. Uh, so. Long you, last. <laughs> well, Francis, thanks so much. So great to have you on. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Alf will be here tomorrow with Tony Greer. In the meantime, the conversation continues on our website on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.